Welcome to the Mile High Podcast. We are your guides through sordid tales of pop culture, drugs, and saying the word fuck a lot. Our show is best experienced under the influence of cannabis. So now is your cue to light up. Now remember, drugs are dangerous, so please don't hurt yourself or your loved ones. But do subscribe. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome everybody. My name is James Thomas and this is the Mile High Podcast Quarantine Edition. Again, with me as always is my co-host and my partner Dave. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm glad to see you here. Uh, it's just us two today. It's going to be very intimate. Um, I heard you're not feeling too well, so I hope you're feeling better. I am doing a little better than I was earlier, yes. So I was just really sore. I don't think it's corona. So uh, because, you know, like you and I were saying off air, you know, we never. I don't go anywhere, you know. So I don't know how I would uh, contract it. Part of it is my back was really, really sore, and it was giving me problems sleeping. So maybe it's just that I'm old, you know. I'm older than you. Yeah, I know, but you forget, you know, those things that you recover from really easily when you're a kid, you don't recover from as much as when you're older. Like, it kind of felt all week like I had just gone to the gym. You know, those times when you go to the gym and you push yourself to, like, do more than you should, and the next day you can't lift your arms. That's basically how my arms felt all the time. And I learned years ago not to push myself at the gym, so. That's kind of my motto in life. Don't push yourself in the gym. It's a good motto because that shit hurts, man. You may be able to hold, you know, hang out in the beginning, but uh, it eventually comes back to you. It just does not work as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it's us. We decided to do a much smaller show. We like I, we like the quarantine way. And we thought uh, maybe a conversation back and forth would be pretty interesting to give us more, give you more detail on who we are and you know what we do. Yeah, it's. I, I enjoy having the different rotating guests. Um, I've been enjoying the uh, ability through Zoom to have different guests and to have more frequent shows. Uh, but sometimes you just get the best stuff when it's just two people, especially two people who've known each other for so long. Uh, I just did a Facebook Live video to introduce the show uh, right before here. And I was saying, like, we've known each other for 38 years. And even after 38 years that we've known each other, we can still tell stories um, that we've never heard before of experiences that we have no idea, like we've never heard before. Right. So, yeah. That's the good thing. There's, there's that thing where uh, you take a, a sequence of experiences and you like grow out from there. And so, and people, what people don't understand is like friendships are weird because I have friends who live all over the country. And you, your friends, you don't talk to necessarily for like years, years, but then you just show back up. I've left the state lots of times and I've always shown back up whenever I move back to Florida, which I will eventually in my life, I will show back up. And those friends I had in Florida will be my friends again. You know, they will be there waiting and like nothing changed because that's what friends do. So really off, uh, off topic, when I was in Florida, right before the, the whole virus shut down, shut down the world. All of my Uber drivers were like white dudes that are about 60 years old that moved down to Florida to retire. I can definitely foresee your future, James. I think I saw you as a Lyft driver, 60 oh, yeah, years old, man. living in Florida. Oh, yeah. If I could own my own pride, if I, you know, 
if I could have property here and in Florida and then drive for Lyft and then have my Disney and Universal annual pass, I'm a pretty happy dude at that point, you know. Very simple. It is one of those things. I'll tell you what, we're going to has a double-edged sword to it because it was it's the favorite thing I've ever done. And But I also don't see myself as somebody who could have lived there and worked there my entire life. You know, I, I will go, I would go my entire life as a annual pass holder. Basically what they say as cast members is cast members hope to live long enough to become annual pass holders, which basically means we quit working there and we just buy our tickets and keep going there because we love that. Yeah, one of the, so one of the reasons why I even came up with this kind of intimate show, James, was because uh, you do have a fascinating story in your background you know i have stories maybe not nearly as adventurous as yours but you know you and i have stories that we've accrued over our 41 years of life right and you picking up your life and moving down to florida is certainly very uh interesting and worthwhile so much so that you and i are developing a, a sitcom around it uh, but I, I just think that you know it's sometimes it's fun just to tell stories and you right. have a super interesting story so Eventually, you know, I think your tale of when you and DW moved down to Florida is definitely a story that needs to be kind of put out there because it's a very interesting story. Yeah, I've always tried. So I've always kind of lived with the concept of I'm just going to take the adventure as it comes to me. You know, uh, I tried the college thing. I wasn't great at a bunch of different colleges. And part of that sent me down the cycle that it was. I realized if I was not going to play out in the college world, then I was just going to try everything I could. And I wanted to live on every coast. I've lived on every coast, you know. Um, and there's something to be said. Part of the reason I like doing this show and the part of the reason that uh, I like reaching out to a broad group of people is because there is a broad group of people out there. People are different by region, state, even cities. You know, you live in different cities and you run into different kind of things. And so having lived as far as I have and as many places I ran into such a wide variety of people, but something connected them, you know, and with, if they hung out with me, it was usually weed. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Dave. Um, so yeah, that's the good thing about doing the show. And that's why we like the idea of people coming on and we think it's, we thought it was a good place to talk from because quite frankly, this is what we like to do. Yeah, it, and it's something that we've liked to do for since we're 16 years old. So, you know, I don't like a lot of stuff that I used to do when I was at, in high school, but smoking weed is definitely something that's carried throughout my entire life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There have definitely been places like – so here's – I'll tell you I'll tell you this about weed. One of the weird things that you run into when you leave the place that you grew up in, your high school arena, is that – you've established dealers or at least every other pothead uh, for years. These are people you've dealt with for years. When you move to another state, you have got to find a whole new set of dealers. Even if you find people who smoke weed, you then have to find out where they get their weed from. And if you could get some of that weed too, at least back in the late nineties, you know, early two thousands. Now a lot of states have, you know, I moved to California, I could have bought illegally. Nowadays, I think Jersey, I get a bottle of nowadays too. So Florida is medical. I mean, every place I've lived, I could buy it. But in the early 2000s, if you moved out of state, if you left your comfort zone, you would, uh, 
be at the mercy of people trusting you and them knowing somebody who can get you weed. Yeah, if luckily I didn't move around too much and I had the one dealer. I was too lazy to try to find more dealers. I basically had the one guy. So I didn't have to do that because I'm not good personally, like in a large group setting. So on top of that, add that extra layer of anxiety of like, I want to do something very illegal. Right. And I'm in a conservative spot and I don't know who smokes weed and who doesn't. And I, that's, that's anxiety inducing, but you're a super outgoing fella. I am well, very I, introverted. You know, the interesting thing about that is that my wife has always pointed out, I will end up in situations when we were in the drum circle in California, we'll be at parties, you know, just concerts. If people are smoking weed in a, in, in a large group setting, they may pass my wife up, but they always offer me weed. Like people like to offer me drugs and I look like a guy who says yes to drugs. And I, just for the record, if you see me on the streets, I usually say yes to drugs within reason. So, but people just look at me and they think that they should. And that's usually what happens now. Just because somebody offers you drugs does not mean that they're going to be able to get you drugs or going through the process needed to, to get more drugs. You know, but they'll offer it to you right then. Yeah, one thing I, I really love about our common denominator being weed here is like ever since we were smoking weed in high school up till now, the variety of people that you have smoked with and the just am amazing infinite amount of stories that you hear while you're in smoking a, a joint with a friend or smoking in a circle at a party with a bunch of people you've never met before. Uh, I've been smoking with people who are uber conservative and people who are uber libertarian, um, super Christian people, atheists, Satanists. Uh, I mean, like we smoke weed with uh, just an enormous amount of people with such an eclectic background, but everything is boils down to everybody shares that common thread of their love of smoking weed and getting high with somebody. Now, here's an interesting question on that, because I wonder if we take this 20 years down the road. Uh, I built numerous friendships uh, around the concept of smoking weed, around the actual act of smoking weed. Uh, but at that time, you were also building those friendships based kind of off the fact that you guys were like partners in crime. You were in it together. You were doing something that was not necessarily legal. Now, I can tell you, I still build my friendships a lot by people who smoke weed. I'm most trusting of people who smoke weed, but it's newly legal. It's newly fresh. The nuance will eventually fall off on this. In 20 years now, is it going to be like alcohol? Because I don't believe that people bond around alcohol to the same level that they bond around weed. They bond around bars, strangely enough, to the same level, but not alcohol in general. Do you think 20 years from now it's going to be the same thing? No, it's going to be, beer is a, a great example. So like beer, you have those people who drink Bud Light and then you have the people who drink the micro brews, right? They're two kind of different people. They're sharing their love of beer, but they're, you know, the hipster is kind of enjoying the IPAs, the micro brewed IPAs. Well, you know, the every man is drinking the Bud Light but they both share that common denominator of they love beer, but they're two different people. So in weed, it's going to be that kind of um, 
factioning off or that clicking off where you're going to have the folks who just like to get high and are kind of like the, uh, the common person. And then you're going to have those people who are like the hipsters who buy all the, you know, space rocks and the, all the fucking oils and shit. And they're going to like, you know, they're going to be hipsters and do their hipster shit. And then you're going to have the regular people, but you're still going to have people who are bonding over weed. And I think the, just the chemical component in weed allows people to become more at ease with each other. And so right. unlike beer, cause beer, you can either have the reaction of uh, I'm getting chill or I'm getting super aggressive. Right. Whereas for the most part, weed is going to be um, pretty relieving. Um, so people will feel more at ease with each other. And so I think, uh, there's, there's going to be a little bit stronger of a bond, but eventually it'll all faction out at the end. I think to a certain degree too, that, uh, it's going, uh, the other bonding agent that will change over time is presently we all smoke in a car, in a yard, in a house. There is not a socialized place where we can all go. Really? There's a couple in Denver that you can go to. I've never been to one of them. It seems overly complicated for me at the moment. Now, I have been to Amsterdam, and I have been to coffee shops all over. Coffee shop layouts are wonderful. They're good social environments. But now, marijuana is still locked into our houses, into our close-knit circles. We don't really smoke next to a stranger unless we're in a concert or, you know, when we go down to uh, parades and shit, you know, where we do festivals and stuff. So I think once you have a socialized location, that'll be a little different too. Yeah, I, I like I said, I'm very much introverted. So I love being able to smoke weed in my house. And when I smoke with my friends, we smoke in their backyards or we smoke in their garages. I, I don't, I don't want to have to like go out and try to. Um, be personable out in public when I smoke weed. I just want to, you know, hang out with my few friends and, and get high in a safe space. Um, I think me going out to a public place would be more uh, anxiety inducing just because I'm always on edge when I'm out in public, just because I'm just not a people person. Yeah, I love to do all kinds of drugs and go out in public. I remember one time I went, well, that was alcohol. We got really drunk and, uh, Kathy Davis drove me down to the museum because I love just getting messed up and going to the museum. Maybe that's why I am who I am. But, uh, you know, I can give me some shrooms, give me drug, give me, I send me to the Museum of Natural History. I'm having a good time. And I've done that in every state I've lived in. I've gone to museums and libraries. So maybe that's what kept me out of trouble is that, like, my initial thing is to go to a place of education. That's, that's really fun. I, when I used to get high as a kid, the, I wouldn't really go anywhere. I would, I'd go for long walks and I, I love one going on a walk when you're high, but two, one of the most fun things that I, I really love is getting high when I'm up in the mountains and just kind of like walking around, you know, it's quiet, you know, the, the wind is blowing and the birds are singing and you're high. So everything is just much more intense. So the colors are more intense. The, the cool air. I mean, I really, really love it. But once again, that's more solitary for me. Right. Whereas yours is definitely more outgoing. You're... Yeah, like I, I'm one of those people that like, I don't know if I would 
I would get up and get high in the morning if I knew I was going to get high with somebody later in the day. But I don't know necessarily if I was up, like, it would take me quite a few hours from when I get up to when I first smoked my joint. If I was, if I was doing my own, like, uh, into the wild hike, you know, if I was going to go through the Grand Canyon, if I was doing something very individually me, I, I'm already in my head a lot when it's just me. Like when I lived in Florida, I did not have a radio in my car. When DW and I moved down to Florida, the car that we took down did not have a functional radio. It did not have a functional tape player. So we left Denver, Colorado, and we drove to Orlando, Florida with no way to listen to music. You know, with no iPods at that time. No, there was nothing. It was generally our conversation. Then when I got to Florida, I lived a good 40 minutes away, 30 to 40 minutes away from uh, Disney World. And uh, so to go to work, it would take me 30 to 40 minutes on the highway by myself with no music. And on the same, the same thing on the way back. So I'm constantly in my head. So for me, like by myself getting high is a different scenario because I'm already always there. So it just, it would take me a minute. If it was just me, if I lived alone, I wouldn't get high till much later than I do now. Nowadays where I know people would smoke with me, I'll get high early. But no, if I lived alone, it'd be much later. Yeah, I've never really been much into like the wake and bake lifestyle. Some of our friends have kind of, they've grown up with the wake and bake, but I haven't really. But being in quarantine, when there's literally nothing else for you to do, right. fuck, I I did a lot of creating out here in my, my little production room. And so I'd be out at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning. I'd take a shower like I went to work, and then I'd go and start creating shit, and I'd get high at like 9 o'clock. And I kind of like that feeling of that early morning being creative and having a joint, like it kind of set the, the right mood for the day. So I can definitely see why people wake and bake. It was very enjoyable yeah. for those couple of weeks. You have to be mentally prepared to do what you're going to do too, because the biggest danger with wake and baking is if you're like, if you get up and you start like you are, Hey, I'm, I'm in my studio. I'm going to do a project. I'm going to work on something specifically. And you start that you're good. But there is the danger of wake and baking that you get up and you're like, I'm going to do all this. I'm going to get really high, and then I'm going to go and do these projects. And you get high first, and you haven't even started it. So it's not the project that looks hard. It's the literal starting of You're like, oh, i got to turn on my computer. i got to pull it up. Where's the plug? That's not working. Yeah. Whatever. Let's just watch Netflix. And that's the segue. What are you watching on Netflix, Dave? That was so I, good, dude. That was like next-level segue, dude. Yeah, Mike's not here. Mike didn't write that segue. Santori didn't write that. He's gone. Those are all my segues. Um, I'm actually going to start because I picked up something that people have been talking about repeatedly online and not so much my friends, but like critics. And I've heard about this show quite a bit. Uh, so I picked up Shit's Creek. Yes. And I've made it through the first three seasons. And uh, Shit's Creek is a absolutely wonderful show. It, uh, it really does is. not, it, it, the first season, like the first five episodes, I'm going to say it's like Battlestar Galactica. You have to push yourself through the first five episodes because 
while they're witty and smart, you don't care about any of these characters. And until you care about the characters, the show does not have the same humor and or appeal. It takes a minute to learn these characters. But once you do, I, I find it absolutely hilarious. Yeah, so I love Schitt's Creek. I think it's great. Uh, and what's really funny about that is, like, we watched here at my house, we watched, like, three episodes as a family, and my kid, my wife, they couldn't get into it, but I really enjoy it. I saw a lot of – I saw the potential in the first couple episodes. So um, I'm – you surpassed me. I'm about a season and a half in, but okay. I love my show. Like, I'm trying to find more time so I can get back into it. And I think I found the time. I think I'm going to, you know, catch up and try to get all the next uh, couple episodes or uh, seasons in. Yeah, because – and they're great. They're short seasons. I think they're like 13 episodes a season. Yeah. So they're really, they're really good. And it's a great development of character. I just – uh, and like I said, I'm not to the end. I know they only have five seasons, but Eugene Levy and his son, which uh, Dan Levy, Dan Levy, which I didn't realize played David. How did you not know that? They look they're literally no, they the do. same they're, looking person. The exact same. Yeah, one thing I really love about the show is like in the first couple episodes, they establish, you know, David's the the fashionista, and then the daughter is, you know, super rich twid, and then. Right. But, you know, there is so much depth to them, and they, they're not what they seem on the outside. So the first, like, few episodes, they establish who these people are, and then from then on, they're establishing these people have real depth. And when they discover that, like, even the daughter, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but her storyline is pretty fascinating. She's, you know, full of faults. She, you know, is kind of, you know, conceited, but – she also starts becoming more humble and she has a lot of different layers. She has a, a complicated background. I think, you know, how they discover that kind of stuff is really interesting. Oh, the Saudi Prince story. I keep telling uh, my wife that like, eventually we have to see this Arabic Prince at some point. They've, they've told the story as a, as a throwaway gag about why she was uh, kidnapped by a Saudi Prince or something. It's a great throwaway gag, but it would be one that, clever shows would pay off at the very end. And I, and I'm hoping that they eventually do pay that off. Um, and Chris Elliott, I did not get tired of it. I love Chris Elliott for a certain amount of time. I'm three seasons in and you know, yeah, they just pepper him. They pepper him in. He's not like in your yeah. face all the time. Cause a lot of Chris Elliott is way too much Chris Elliott. Right. Well, and their names are great. Jocelyn shit. And, uh, Oh, uh, rolling shit. And it wasn't, and I watched that show and it wasn't until he answered the phone. Like he's, it's four episodes in. And then at one point, Chris, uh, Elliot answers the phone and he's like, rolling shit. And I'm like, Oh my God, his name is rolling shit. How did I miss that? His name was rolling shit. You know, it, yeah. Very, very good show. It's the newest thing that I've actually, we probably watched these three seasons since the last time we did this show. You know, since last week. Yeah, and it's done. What you, uh, I think it's maybe five seasons in total. Maybe five six. seasons. I'll be done by the next time we do the show. Yeah, and then it's, unfortunately it's done. That's the sad thing about it. But at least, uh, you know, it's on Netflix. It'll live on forever. Right, right. What have you been watching? What Anything interesting that's been popping out to you? No, so I kind of channeled my inner Santori this week and I watched a bunch of stuff from the past. Uh, I've been reading the exorcist, the book and okay. the book is incredible. And it just really made me want to watch the movie. 
and the movie is written by uh, William Peter Blatty, who wrote the book. So basically, they took the book, and I didn't realize how similar the book and the movie were, and that just made the the movie that much better on a, another time around. And you know, it was just fun to watch The Exorcist. I love horror movies, and that's like the top horror movie. So just getting to go back and watch the extended version, the almost three-hour-long one with all the creepy shit in it. So that was fun. Watch The Exorcist. Um, a lot of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That's our family show right now is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That's a great one. And then uh, Rick and Morty started on Sunday. So caught that. Top Chef is great as well. Yeah. I have not caught up on Top Chef. You know what's the weird thing is I've watched – Here's my problem with Top Chef is I've watched peppered seasons of Top Chef. I like some really, there's some great seasons. I like Richard Blaze. I've always liked Richard Blaze seasons, whatever Blaze is there. I'm usually a fan. Um, I know two-thirds, maybe three-fourths, between two-thirds and three-fourths of the chefs on this season. Um, and I don't know, California never pulls me. When they're in California, it doesn't ever pull me. I don't know why. I can't think of a season that they've done Top Chef in California where I'm like, ooh, that was a great season. Except the one that Richard Blaze was on. Yeah, well, this season's really good. I like the all-star aspect of it. And the the favorite chef I've ever had on that show was Kevin Gillespie. And so he's back on and he's killing it this season. And him and look exactly the same. Say again? Last Chance Kitchen. What do you think of a lot of reality shows are doing that because Survivor is doing this thing that you can vote it off and you have the way to get back in like twice, which is very top chef. I think they were one of the early people to do it. Are you a fan of the idea of last chance kitchen? No, definitely. I, these chefs are so good that, you know, they have one bad day and then they get to fight for it to come back. You know, everybody has a bad day. Uh, if these guys get kicked off, you know, because they had a bad day, then they have a chance to redeem themselves. <laughs> And it's not easy for them to get on, get back on the show. And when they get on, they usually do pretty well. I think when they get back on, I think two or two of the winners were had spent almost their whole time in last can last chance kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the one of the chefs this year, she was one of the ones that got kicked off, came back and won, and she's killing it this year. She's her and Kevin Gillespie are just taking over this entire season. Nice. Yeah. I nice. love Top Chef. I'm a, I love food. I love chefs. I right. revere chefs like other people love, like, rock stars and shit. So having a show where, like, the best of the best that are on there. I follow the James Beard Awards, like, the Oscars. I mean, I just I love that whole world. There's another interesting, and, and we'll kind of segue into what we're watching and telling about us. And um, But that is – one of the things that I did is when I was in New Jersey, I went to the International Culinary Institute in Manhattan, in New York, where Bobby Flay and a bunch of other people went. And I took uh, some two semesters of classes there. And so that was just a crazy experience with a lot of different, you know, there is something about New York. I've lived in a lot of places. There is something about when you're going to do something in New York City, in Manhattan, in New York City, that feels important. You know what I mean? Like when you're supposed to be there. I filmed, I filmed movies in a lot of places with Hollywood Tony P from earlier in the season, our first guest this season. 
we filmed a movie called uh, Beneath Perception that I wrote and he directed in New York City. And it's my favorite movie thing that we've ever done because one, you get a great scenery and two, you feel important. You are filming in New York City there of all the places I've lived. Pardon me. The most overwhelming, interesting place was New York City. So how did you, how did your path make its way to Manhattan in New York City to go to culinary school? So strangely enough, it was not a very long way to get there. So literally, uh, I developed, I wrote a sitcom years ago with Hollywood Tony P. And it called Zigzag, and it was a story of us as teenagers. But you couldn't sell weed as uh, actors. You know, you couldn't do a... 70s show was not as popular. 70s show had just started pushing that envelope of weed on television. So you couldn't develop an entire thing about that. So we made this animated series and we thought, hey, it'd be a great idea to go out to California to sell this series. Well, uh, I moved out to California. Tony was a single guy. I moved out to California. Actually, uh, Nerd Corner, Chris, went out to California as well. He went out. When I said I was going and Tony said he was going, Chris was like, I'll go out to California too. So Chris and Tony were actually there. My whole family showed up about a month later. We did not like California. I did not like Los Angeles. I mean, I like California, but I just not like, like living in Los Angeles. And within like a month there, I realized it. I drove around LA and I said, this is underwhelming. This is not a city. You know what I mean? Like, it's huge. Don't get me wrong, but it's huge. Like, huge versus huge, you know, vertical versus horizontal, which developed the city. Literally, my wife had got a temporary job at a company that was moving to the uh, to the East Coast. And we were packing up. We'd been there a year. We were no closer to getting anything done than we're, what we were able to do in Colorado um, as far as our creative outlets. So... Strangely enough, this temp job was like, hey, we really like you. We're moving to the East Coast. Do you want to come with us? And she called and asked me. And I was like, tell me to give you like a 70% raise and pay for your moving truck. And they were like, yeah, we'll do all that. And so that's how I ended up over there. And at that point, I'm a stay-at-home dad cooking constantly. And uh, I, I auditioned for the first two seasons of MasterChef. Uh, and only got to a certain level. Uh, I got to the second tasting. So you, when you audition for it, you go to this room and you bring your pre-prepared dish, which is tricky because it, like the first time I did it, I didn't know. I didn't plan how to keep my food hot. So uh, when I got there, they ate cold food. They talked about the taste and the yeah, but I but I kept it cold. So yeah, after doing that a couple times, I said, hey, hell, I could do this. And I, I decided to be a chef. And then I ended up in New York City, and I'm going to the International Culinary Institute. And then, uh, yeah, it was just crazy. Because I wanted to do it. And that was it, what it came down to. Everything I've ever done is because I wanted to do it. You know, I'm pure Ed. You have a, one thing I admire about you uh, that I kind of wish I had in myself is sense of adventure and you know you go on adventures and uh, i played it very safe growing up i never really kind of 
took that leap of faith up until recently when I, I went to California a couple of years ago to try to sell a script that I wrote that ended up turning into the books that I uh, published that I'm writing right now. Uh, that's like the first time in my life I actually like really took a risk. And one thing I admire about you is like you have a sense of adventure and you take risks and um, you probably have a great wealth of stories and life experiences that, you know, I missed out on because I didn't go to college out of state or even away from home. I lived at my house during college and I didn't really take risks or go anywhere. Uh, you know, that's but one thing that I kind of wish I had done, but uh, I'm kind of there now. I'm getting there now. I'll give you, but see, there's the other end of this. And uh, the funny thing is I find DW is the balance between you and I on this. Um, but you had direction. You always have. You knew what you were going to do. You know, knew how you wanted to get it done. And whether or not you deviated from your original goal of what you were going to do, you followed every checkpoint that you needed to do to get to that point. And then when you finally did decide to take a risk, your risk paid off much higher than any of the risk I have in as far as uh, creative – the books, man. I'm super impressed by the books. You, you, you went out. You met Kevin Smith. You wrote the books. You know, you. Part of the reason when you asked me to do this show and you started talking about doing this show, nice is uh, is because I knew that you would do it. You know what I mean? I you showed that when you focused on something, you were going to get it done and you were going to do it. And I don't always have the direction. I start lots of things that kind of fall off. I have a thousand different scripts that are two thirds of the way done. I literally was going through a box of old stuff the other day and I have scripts from, I wrote in eighth grade, like called the great Disney rescue. It's a freaking great story. It's every, it's, it's like a Roger rabbit and everybody's locked in Disney world. And I won't go into details. Nature boys, which is another Stories I've written, stories, I have characters that I've carried with me, Dave, for 20, 30 years. And I've never successfully got them down on paper to share with other people in the way that you have. And well, so, that's crazy. The, the race to space is literally an idea that I've had in my head for 10 years. Right. And as most great I, ideas. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I am. It take when what what am I trying to say here? So when I was coming up with the race through space, like I knew I had some sort of a little bit of talent in in writing, but I was like you, like I would start a million different things, but I would never finish it. But the the race through space was something that just kept nagging at me, nagging at me, nagging at me. And to mention Kevin Smith, it wasn't until I listen to a lot of these Kevin Smith podcasts that he does. He, he's like, you need to tell your story. If you have a story, you need to tell it because nobody else is going to tell your story. And that was super inspiring. And then I got my hands on Stephen King's book called in writing, which is half Stephen King biography and half Stephen King textbook on how to be a writer. And it, the most influential book I've ever read in my life. And those two things combined at the same time was like, I have the story and you know, I, I, nobody's going to tell me the story. I got to come up with myself. And then Stephen King is telling me how to do the, the nuts and bolts of it. 
And so that's how I came up with the Racing Space script. And I, you know, tinkered with it, tinkered with it, went out to California, tried to sell it. Um, I got it in front of a director who gave me some good notes on it. I met Kevin Smith, who's like, you know, just keep moving forward on your project. Just keep writing and writing. And, you know, when I got home, I turned it into a book, sent it off to a publisher. And, you know, now I'm here a couple years later. Uh, I just finished the the last book. I just finished the second edit on it. Uh, my wife is reading it. So, yeah. Do you find it gets easier? Do you find that once you start put, you putting you, once you've been able to complete a character's arc, do you find it's easier to rewrite the characters? Like, listen, I did, I did do an animated series, Rick and Morty style called Zigzag for years. And I have probably 36 episodes of it. And I develop characters, and they're dumb characters. Here's the thing about shows like Rick and Morty, and just from my opinion, is the more I wrote these characters, the easier those characters became to write. Are you finding it to be smoother for you now? Yes, and that's why I try to do something different with them every time because it's very easy to get into that habit of this person is this kind of person and this person is this kind of person where – uh, like I'm changing perspectives. I'm changing, uh, I'm adding in, you know, this is a book for kids. And so when I'm writing the stories, they're mostly kids, but now I'm adding an element of them as adults in the future and how their future is affected by the events of when they're kids. And then this book I just recently wrote is actually from the girl's perspective. So it's a, a kid named Neil who's like 13 years old and his best friend who's a girl. And she's the sidekick. She's the witty sidekick. Right. Um, but this book is from her point of view. It's her story because she's uh, she has morphed into a super dynamic character that I wanted to get to know a little bit better. So it's easy just to fall in that trap of, you know, I'm just going to write the same story, the same characters. So I'm trying to change it up a little bit. And when I'm doing that, I'm finding that sometimes the words aren't coming as easy because I'm right. having to think more. I'm having to be more um more focused on the stories i'm writing i actually have to write an outline on this one to keep me going and give me direction uh so it's the words aren't easier but it's, it's more fun and it's paying off because this is a really really great book nice nice yeah see that kind of stuff the ability to create is uh a huge thing and i don't think enough people uh take the time to actually do that, you know, to create, because we all have stories in it. I found that really I'm more of an audible type storyteller that like, I never, I always figured I'd be behind the scenes, you know, like Santori, I always propped him up. Tony, I always threw him in front of the camera. I just wrote the jokes and just did the behind the scenes stuff. But the more I work with it, the more, and the more I do this, I realized that, those stories that are in my head or those abilities, those things that I always like, Hey, I should write this down. I'm clearly never going to write down, but if you turn a camera on me or a microphone in front of me, I'm just going to say them. So maybe that's what I need to be doing. And it took me a long time to figure out that and this is probably where my place should be is in front of the camera versus for a long time, the attempt to be behind the camera. Dude, I, that is so crazy that you say that because the whole reason why we are here right now and the reason why we're in business together, that we host multiple shows together 
is because you know these shows are based around you. You are the most personable, funny, like especially like uh, off the top of your head, funny, uh, natural person at this of anybody I've ever known. So like I couldn't do the show if you aren't hosting. I couldn't do half the shit with Truckee Pacific if you weren't there. Uh, you would definitely you're very, very look very comfortable in front of the camera and being in charge of things. Like I like to be more, I, I way more in the background, like hosting shit. That's definitely not my strong suit. See, and that's, and, and, and it's, and it's finding the way that finding the way that we work and how it takes like years sometimes to realize where you, where people are supposed to set out to be. But I definitely think that's something that has uh, worked well on oh, in this. And I think, like I said, with that, I do find DW as the balance between it where he will take an adventure more so, but he will also plan out a lot like you will as well. You know what I mean? And I think you just find people who <sighs> complete other aspects. And, and, and if you work the, with them, it works better. You know, I have the reasons that I work really well with Santori because there's a lot of things about Santori that, uh, that I compliment him on and there are things uh, we all think different ways. You know what I mean? And so I think that's why you and I work well together. And you and I also know that the collaboration of a team is really the only way to get anything done in this world. It's never about keeping your ideas or your things so tight onto yourself that, you know, you don't have the input of other people. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the, the things that I've, I do most is I listen to podcasts. I listen to lots and lots of podcasts because, you know, this is kind of what I want to do. I want to be a writer. I want to uh, create a bunch of shit. I want to create shows and write for shows. I want to be a podcaster. And so the only way to get better is to practice it like we do and also listen to it and like really break it down. So I listen to a lot of different podcasts. I and I'm totally losing my train of thought, but totally. Yeah, I listen, love listening to podcasts, and I think that the one of the things I listened to was the Good Place podcast. I found my train of thought. I finally found it. It was gone. I finally got back on the drills. So, so I was listening to the Good Place podcast. The very first episode is by Michael Shore, who created the Good Place. Um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine wrote for The Office, was Moe's on The Office. And his philosophy is the best idea wins. And I found in you, James, somebody who I can throw all sorts of shit out. Like, I am very, you know, brain comes up with an idea, a spark, and like, this sounds interesting, but I need a filter. So, you know, the being able to like bounce it back at you and you are honest, you're like, that sounds cool or no, let's try to do it this way. I like the idea, but you know, let me put my input And some of our best ideas have come from, you know, one or two days worth of bouncing ideas back and forth. Um, and that's why I think we're both super creative. We're both strong in different areas. And when we bounce ideas, we add our own little spice to it. So it just makes those ideas better. I think I think that that's funny. You're not the first person that I've ever worked with, or that I currently even work with that calls me a filter. Santori will call me with jokes. 
that have the generalized concept of a joke and I'll give it like three minutes and I'm like, all right, but what if you just did this? And sometimes I try to hold that back when I talk to people um, because it's not always welcomed, but that's why I like working with you. And that's why I like working with Santoria. That's why, you know, I like working with the nerd corner is because people get that. I'm not like trying to knock your idea. I just try to do that. A filter is something that I've played a lot. And so, and I like creative people that are willing to work with that, you know, that allow us to like communicate between it. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's always fun because people have great ideas and I just like throwing a little bit on it. If I can throw a little bit on it and say, Hey, what if we did this with that? You know, yep. it, and it's hard to work with creative people sometimes, but I think we find a good crew to work with. And I think you and I work extremely well because we balance out that other side of that, you know, the equation yeah and i think we've done uh, some pretty cool things yeah what do you, what do you what would you if you're looking forward uh with this what are your goals like generally where would you like to see trucky pacific or the molly podcast generally like what would your goal be what would you like to see well well, first of all, I love the direction that we're we're going right now with Truckee Pacific and with the Mile High Podcast. Uh, Mile High Podcast is the one of the ideas that I've had for a really long time because you and I have been smoking weed for a really long time, and it, the whole podcast is born out of conversations that we would have while we we're smoking weed with you know us friends together. So you know, Mile High Podcast is my baby. So I, I want us to be at a level where we're touring and we're playing like comedy clubs or small theaters or whatever. Um, you know, hopefully getting high with, you know, a couple of my best friends going to Las Vegas or going to LA, New York and having, you know, smoking weed in front of a bunch of people and telling jokes and saying fuck a lot. So that's my goal for my high podcast, but Truckee Pacific is such an eclectic and such a uh, refreshing kind of production company because we do all sorts of different things. We have podcasts, we have gaming services, YouTube videos. I mean, we're, this is kind of like how the production companies are going in the future, not like the right. universals and stuff who are kind of set in the past. Like, you know, there's so many more outlets to get our content out there. And so, you know, producing stuff specifically for that, I think that's kind of a fresh idea. So I think there's a lot of potential in there. I like that. I like the idea of, uh, doing like the live shows with the podcast. That'd be a lot of fun. I think, uh, although smoking weed with these people after Corona is going to be a little weird. And let me tell you, someone posted this and it wasn't like they copied a meme, but I think they just literally said it and it took me a minute to get this, but she said, you remember when we lived in a society where we had a tradition where we all decided to eat a cake that someone had just spit all over. And I went, I kind of laughed at it at first. I was like, ha, ha. and I went, oh my God. Oh my God, what does the future mean for that? Are we gonna blow out candles at our birthday cake? Are we gonna be passing joints between people? I mean, they're weird. Like, I imagine if we do a show now, we'll all have our own weed and we'll just be like, yeah, stranger. You know what I mean? I, I think that's, that'll be interesting. Yeah, it's funny. I remember, man, when I was 18 years old was the first time I like smoked weed outside of like our little circle of friends. Like uh, one of our friends, 
Joel and I went to a Pantera concert up at Red Rocks and it was like an all day concert. And there's fucking people that we've never met before. They were just handing us joints and we're these fucking these 17, 18 year old kids in Red Rocks getting high with these hippies that we've never met before. We didn't know what fucking kind of drugs they had on them. Right. They were like handing us, um, so from soaked to fruit fucking smoking joints and shit. Like, you know, that was a tradition. Now you're right. I mean, it's like, we're all going to have our own thing. It'll be yeah. very like, you know, don't touch my shit. It, you know what? It's, there is a thing that the younger generation of stoners will not experience. And that's exactly what you said of someone offers you drugs rolled in a joint form or honestly in a pipe form with things that look like marijuana or, you know, and you take it. It was an old game of Russian roulette back in the day because people did different things, man. And I have more than once taken a hit of something that like 10 minutes later, I realized was not marijuana. You know what I mean? Like, I, or it was, it may have been marijuana, but I had never smoked marijuana like that before then. And I have yet to smoke marijuana like that since. So I, I don't know, but the Russian roulette, no, there's, there's just no more of that. They don't, we won't, uh, a whole generation of kids will miss out on the fun on maybe these guys like a little extra in their joints. So do you like, um, the oils and the hash and the, the little additives? Or are you just a straight up flour kind of guy? Cause... No, I like flowers. I like flour. Um, I don't mind the pens. The pens have gotten remarkably good. You know, the uh, vape pens, uh, I used to hate them about three pens three years ago were shit. They were terrible. Pens nowadays are good. I can get really high off of a vape pen. Um, dabs, you know, I can do them, but I'm not running out to do dabs, man. I am not running. Dabs are fucking tough. And so I don't hate them, but like I, I will almost never, unless it's for this show, and we're all going to do dabs, we're going to do a bunch of dabs and then come out and try it. Unless it's for this show, I will never own the kit that I need to do dabs with. But I have hung out with lots of people who've had those kits. Dabs are tough, man. I like them, but I'll never do them on my own. I will never have that kit. Yeah, I have not done a dab, and... Uh... You know, I'm just a straight up flower guy. Never done a dab. Never done a dab. Oh. I don't. My circle of people are very, very small. So if the my little circle of people is not doing a dab, I think Dave does a dab. That is absolutely going to happen because see now I have to buy the kid. I literally a minute ago said I was not going to ever own that kid, but to make you do a dab, I will buy a kid. Let me. A dab is like the craziest. It's like if your high usually lasts like three hours. It's like they took all the high and they condensed it to like 30 minutes. So as high you're going to be in that whole time, they're just like, here's one giant hit. You're going to be super crazy high for 30 minutes. Uh, and then you're going to get really tired. That's what I get from the dad. I went to, I was in California with my wife and we went over to uh, some family that we have out there. And one of, the 
boyfriends of girlfriends of their kids made his own wax. They made, they made their own dabs. And he's like, oh, you got to try these dabs. And we're like, okay, we're here for dinner, but then we'd like you to take us back to Disneyland because we fucking love Disneyland. We're, we're adults and we love it. And uh, they all thought that was weird because they live close enough to Disneyland to pick us up. They're like, why would you want to go to Disneyland? Don't you want to go to Knott's Ferry? I'm like, I just stick back to Disneyland. I, they're like, you've been there for like eight hours. I'm like, yeah, it's open for another six. Anyhow, took these dabs and like, and maybe I'll share in the comments underneath here. Uh, but we went from like, you can see in our pictures from like, hey, we're like happy Disney people to like this, like how I look right now. Like, and we were just crazy, stupid high. Dabs get you crazy, stupid high. That's all I can say about dabs. So, I'm a classic flower person because I enjoy it the best. But I, I've done, I've yeah, I've tried all the different kinds of way to do it. Edibles aren't bad, you know. No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm a flower guy. I I react poorly with edibles. Uh, they make you sleepy. Well, yes, and I just I, that's a different high. Like when I smoke sativa, I get creative and energetic and chatty. When I'm on an edible, regardless of what it came from or whatnot, yeah, I get uh, real fucking high real quick, and then it like I shut down. I'm quiet, and I'm I don't want any kind of like extrasensory uh, stuff coming at me. I want to be quiet. I want to be you know right. just kind of in my brain. Plus, I yeah. had I got so high off of an edible once because I was sick, and I was taking medicine. And the edible reacted poorly with my medicine and it sent me to the hospital. It was fucking it was stupid. It was embarrassing. Wow. The fucking nurse was talking shit that I went to the ah. hospital because I got too fucking high. But, you know, I researched it afterwards. It's like, yeah, the medicine that I was taking does react to THC. And I was, I ate an edible and I ate too much of an edible. And it fucked me up. I will be honest. I had a friend once trying to get me to take him to the hospital because he was too high and I told him, fuck no, I will not do that. Chill the fuck out on my couch and shut up. And it took me like three hours to convince him that he didn't have to go. But he was just super high. He just did not. He couldn't. He just couldn't. And he don't, I don't know. And he was, it wasn't like he wasn't a regular smoker, but sometimes people get it. You know, I I every once in a while, and it's been quite some time since it's happened. Uh, but that's partially because I'm in my same space over and over and over. But there is those times where I find myself in a situation, especially because I go out. You say you stay in, and so that this is a little different. Usually I go out, I'm high, I'm like boom, I'm still doing my shit, you know. But there's there are those times where I get super high, I walk into a situation. And then I survey the room and I'm like, oh, fuck, what have I gotten myself into? And then there's not, and it's just, it's weird. And I know that I'm awkward being quiet and it's just like people are looking at me and I'm like goofy laughing and I, you know, and I'm still yeah. the same person, but everything's on like a, like a delay. Like it's 1968 and we're talking to astronauts all the way, you know. Where uh, 
Everything's just a delay. They say something, and I say something extremely witty, but like three minutes later, I was like, yeah, but cats do this. And they're like, what? I was like, no, you remember earlier when we were talking about cats. Yeah, so there are definitely those fear times. Yeah. I The only time I like to be high in public is at a movie or at a concert because both of those, you don't talk too much and it's, you, you know, it's loud and you don't have to chat really with anybody and you just can experience, you know, what's going on in front of you, whether it's the movie, uh, especially love watching horror movies uh, when I'm high. And then like being at concerts, I, I think it, it makes the concert a little bit better, a little bit, uh, a little bit brighter, music a little bit sharper. I go to a lot of places when I'm high. I go to the casinos when I'm high. I'm like, I'll get to the casinos because I'm not going to drive in those mountains like just getting high. But I'll get up there because I know I'm going to be over there for a couple hours. And I'll just get really blazed in the car real quick. And I'll be like, let's go! And then I'll just run around the casinos and bells and ringing things go off. Yeah, for the most part, if it's not a job thing and it's not a family thing and it's not... I'm generally, I'm going to go out. If I'm going out to an event, I'm pretty high at like 90% of the time. Maybe at a party where I don't know people, but maybe. There's a 50-50 chance. <laughs> when was the last time you were at a party that you didn't know somebody? You, like, know everybody. <sighs> last time. Yeah, even when I don't know anybody, I always know one person. And people are like, how do you know that person? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's definitely a weird thing to get in those environments and just be high. Do you, like, are you a camper? Do you camp? No, I used to go hunting when I was young, and I went with my cousins. I would camp there and go hunting for a few days, and then I I got married and had a job and a family, and then I just I didn't want to devote my weekends to camping and going hunting i wanted to sit on my ass there is definitely a point i i camped a lot and uh you were a scout you're a boy scout i was a boy scout well even when my kids were younger we camped a lot and when my parents were out traveling we camped a lot uh but uh the effort to do it nowadays really i'm like oh i don't want to set up a tent you're right it's the inconvenience you know what i mean i know there's it's just like uh it takes a lot and plus I'll get high when I'm camping, but in my mind, camping is a drinking activity. I don't know what it is about it. It's not a weed activity. That's a drinking activity. Baseball games, football games, sports, weed activity. And I've smoked everywhere in my life, or not in, uh, in Coors Field. I've smoked an abundance of places in Coors Field. As have I. I, I spent Say again? The ledge? Yeah, the ledge. Yeah, I, I remember um, over where the, the shuttle bus would pick us up at night. There was that, that big corner. Yeah. It was like in shadow. That's where we'd go. Yeah. Fucking Coors Field was, was right still... Underneath, uh, there was a ledge right under uh, the rock pile. And then we would go sit out there sometimes. Which I just thought was the most ominous place to be because... 
you couldn't really see from the rock pile, but anybody walking beneath could see you were literally sitting on a ledge that you weren't supposed to be on, which also drew to the fact that you were smoking weed at that point because what the fuck are they doing on that ledge? Oh, it looks like they're smoking weed. See, I was more of a drinker on the job and then more of a smoker after the job. I generally smoke at a lot of my jobs. One time I was working at a pizza hut at Isleth and Buckley with Doug, the manager, and little John. Uh, and we got, we were, it was like the afternoon, we were out back and uh, <clears throat> sitting in the U-Haul trucks, just going to blaze. And it was just him and I there. And nobody usually comes at a time. Sure enough, we walk in and there's this lady standing at the counter and with her son with a little free pizza because he read a book or five books or whatever. And he had a dare shirt on. And I'm telling you, all the times and all the pizzas I've ever, ever smoked into, that time, that pizza had smelled so much like weed because we left the door open. It, it was just... And she just looked at us and we're like, all right, yeah, I'll make your pizza. <laughs> Sorry, we were... Both taking out the trash. <laughs> yeah, I was too bad. Yeah, I was very serious. I still am to this day. When I'm on the job, I'm very serious. And so I don't do really anything like smoking weed or, or whatnot. And I, you guys used to dog on me a little bit because I was like, I need you to get the ice. I need you to do this. I need you. And you guys are like, yeah, yeah. we can go back to this fucking ledge over here and get high. That is absolutely true. That's absolutely true. But it's still the, it's still the most fun job I've ever had. And it, you know, still the, one of the greatest times of my life. I fucking hated high school, but the summers were so great when we were growing up because our routine was we'd go work at Coors Field and then we would get off, come home, get fucked up. And then we would work for like eight days straight and then we would be off for a week. And so then we had – all this fucking money because we were making some pretty good money at Coors Field. And then we would have like eight days where we weren't working and we had money. So we were fucking hanging out partying. And then the, the team would come back and we'd go work again for a couple weeks. Yeah, it was a fucking fun ass job. I mean, and the people who we worked with down there were super fucking cool. Generally, when you get in those big environments, that's what cruise ship people do too. They work eight days and then they're off for so many days. Um, but yeah, generally people in those environments are either are either cool or depressed. I tried to work one day. Here's a weird story. I tried, and, and a lot of them are cool, but there are some people who are just depressed who've been doing it for a very long time. But any kind of food places that you run into, if I, you always get that old person. Not I know people who love their job in customer service for years. But you always get that one that like you wonder like how. Why did you get a job in customer service 45 years ago, man? You know, because you clearly hate people, you know. Um, I applied for a job at the Pepsi Center. And I was with uh, Tony. And <clears throat> just because this story should be collaborated, if you ever run into Tony, you will collaborate. Uh, we were in the interview center. And this is a pre-COVID story, so it's kind of a horror story, the whole type. So I'm just looking around, and you know when, they're, when they would take applications, even at Coors Field, it was a big group of people. They all just sat in a room, and they'd go one at a time. And uh, I'm looking over, 
and there's this girl and she's looking like right at this wall like this and i'm thinking i'm like i wonder what that girl's doing and then she like i see her kind of go like this and i went oh shit oh shit tony tony come here he's like what and i'm like just watch this girl for like a minute she's going to lick that wall we just kind of stood there and watched and i I shit you not, viewers and Dave. She kind of looked to the left and looked to the right, and she went. And I'm like, oh, my God. Why would she lick that wall? And, like, nowadays, it's, like, the worst possible. It was the worst possible thing before COVID. But the creepy part is I could look at her, and there was just something about the way she looked at that wall. Like, I don't know, man. So you can see things in people's eyes, and she had that look at the wall. I don't know why I thought it meant that she was going to lick it, but it was almost like seductive. She was looking at the wall, and she had to do just touching it wasn't enough. That's what I could tell. Just touching the wall was not enough for her. Whatever they're dealing with, she had to go one step over touching the wall. She had to feel slightly more intimate with that wall. True story. Yeah, and she is a CEO of a Fortune 500 company now, so it doesn't matter where you came from. It's what your final destination is in life. Exactly. I well, met they, some weird fucking people, dude, at Curtis Field. I mean, when, you get, when you're 16 and 19, 18 years old, you're pretty naive to the world. And so this is my first exposure to the real life and fucking working with ex-cons, gang members, priests uh i mean like i work with all sorts of weird people i work with this dude named chief who um joel and i worked with for about six months until some gang member beat his ass in the middle of our kitchen when we were at work and we had to go testify against him but he was just this old like 60 some year old dude that um you know grew up in poverty lived in poverty his whole life and he just he had all these like fucking horror stories of growing up and we're like 17 years old listening to this dude talking stories man it was kind of eye-opening to the the ways of the world right you definitely learn always travel where like mass-produced food people who serve mass-produced food like airmark if people work from airmark follow them home I guarantee you there is an interesting story at the other. They serve food, and they're in between the ages of 35 and about 55. Be friends with that person. Go to their house because there's an interesting other end of that story. They, it, there's another end of that story. Yeah, a lot of interesting personalities in that world. It's fun, though. It was still one yeah. of the greatest times of my life. Yeah, yeah it was a good time. Well, Dave, I think this was good. I think we got to introduce ourselves a little bit more to our audiences uh, who didn't know us. I think we had a good conversation, as we always do when it's one and on. Uh, as far as plugs, my big plug is we're going to do James of the Giant Country with Dave's interview. Uh, Nancy's show is going to be recorded, I'm hoping, tomorrow. And uh, that's my big plug. Dave, what do you got? I got the Race to Space Read Along podcast. Um, I finished recording that episode today, and I'll be dropping it. Um, tweaking a little couple things here to try to make it a little bit better, and so uh, that'll be up today. 
Um, other than that, I'm just I'm writing a, a story right now, a COVID-related horror story, and uh, that that's my plug. So it should be coming out. Oh, my novella, my Christmas story, uh, my horror novella called The Christmas Roast uh, just dropped on Audible. So if you're looking for a real fun horror story, I know it's kind of out of season being that it's a Christmas story, but it's fun nevertheless. Uh, the dude who narrated it, his name is Trevor Wilson, and he's really fucking good reading the story. So use your Audible credit. It's a really fucking cool story. Nice, nice. The Christmas roast. And then, of course, we would be amiss if we didn't uh, put a shout-out to the Nerd Corner. Check him out. He's still doing a bunch of stuff in the VR. Go check out Santori. Listen to Santori Unplugged on the World Generation world generated wrestling the world wrestling federation podcast some listen to santori go to his page he'll give you a link to the world championship wrestling podcast pack is the world championship wrestling it was the wolf pack right it is definitely one of those things look up <laughs> santori it's really funny um you want to get a hold of us you can get it on facebook at mile high podcast and trucky pacific if you want an instagram we are at mile high podcast and our email is milehighpodcast at gmail.com and Truckee Pacific Productions, the full word, at gmail.com. Our Twitter is high, at highpodcast. And if you want to send us money so we can keep doing this from the comfort of our own home and not have to go out, Venmo us at milehighpodcast. The first person to donate over $10 gets to be a guest on the show. Just made that up. It's great. Let's do it. I like that. Um, all right. I said it. I said all the words right in that. I even said. I'm very proud of you. Yeah, Dave. It has been a pleasure. Stay safe, and we'll see you all again soon. All right. Have a good night, guys. Good night. This has been a Truckee Pacific production. For sponsorship inquiries and comments, go to the Mile High Podcast at gmail.com. Hi, my name is Dave, and I'm one of the creators of Chucky Pacific Productions. If you're one of the millions of others who are sitting on your ass and in desperate need of entertainment, Chucky Pacific Productions is here for you. Check out one of our podcasts, such as our highbrow stoner pop culture podcast, The Mile High Podcast. Or for you sci-fi nerds out there, we have the Race Through Space Read Along Podcast. All podcasts can be found on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. For you streamers out there, we have the Nerd Corner on Twitch. And for those of you who need relationship advice, check out James and Melody on our Facebook Live series, Surviving the Quarantine. You can reach us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Come check out Truckee Pacific Productions. He's back. Comedian Santori is back with a brand new show that's exactly the same as the old show. Join Dr. Detroit, Jolene, Hollywood Tony P, and of course, Comedian Santori, Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Mountain, 10 p.m. Eastern, only on the World Generation Podcast Network. Enjoy the ever-present randomness of comedy on Santori Unplugged. Can you name that tune?